Welcome to Podland, the last word in podcasting news. It's the 17th of February, 2022. I'm James Critton, the editor of podnews.net. And I'm Sam Sethi, the MD of River Radio. And I'm Mike Carr, and later I'll talk about Crowd Network. He will. Podland is sponsored by Buzzsprout, podcast hosting made easy. Last week, 4,595 people started hosting with Buzzsprout. You can too at buzzsprout.com. And if you can use chapters in your podcast app, then Buzzsprout supports those. Now, it's a busy week, James, so brace yourself, Sheila. It's been a buying week. Spotify last night bought two companies, Pod Sites and Charles. Now, James, what do you make of it all? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Why buy one when you can buy two? So Podsites is a podcast advertising measurement service that helps advertisers better measure and scale their podcast advertising. Chartable, I always thought was quite similar, but it turns out that what Spotify have bought Chartable for, at least, is promotional attribution or audience insight tools, all of that sort of thing. And they've bought both of them and announced that on Wednesday evening in the US. Yes, quite big news this week. I thought it was quite interesting. I went to Twitter to have a look at what people have been reacting. Neelai Patel said, on the one hand, Spotify is trying to monopolize the entire podcast industry through acquisition. And Walt Mossberg came back with, you could conclude that Spotify is destroying one of the last vestiges of the open web. So quite harsh on that one. Gosh, I'm not so sure about that, to be honest. But I think that Spotify is clearly wanting to get a little bit more data. The problem with this is that it's data which is available about podcasts. And it's normally, this is very useful third party data to help people understand how their podcasts are going and everything else. The problem is, of course, it's no longer third party data because it'll now be data that's owned by Spotify. So uh, I would imagine that there'll be quite a few people who'll be there going, going, I'm not quite sure that I want Spotify to know all of this data, thank you very much, and uh, coming out of using both Podsites and uh, Chartable. You won't be able to use Chartable anymore because Chartable is being completely folded into Megaphone, whereas Podsites is going to continue as a separate thing. And they've been sending around lots of very interesting FAQs today saying that Podsites will not share individual publisher deals with Spotify's publishing business. But uh, we've only got their word for it, really. Chris Messina, I think, summed it up well for those who don't really understand what those two companies are so imagine google analytics for podcasts which is a good analogy to use and he said it could be used for any audio for that matter i think they're talking about extending this to music not just to podcasting yeah which i think would make an awful lot of sense because they do have all of that data some really interesting acquisitions it's great news for dave and the team at charitable dave is a really good bloke and uh, a really thoughtful guy so Great to see him succeeding there and taking Chartable into uh, Spotify, which is good. And uh, great news for Podsites, Sean uh, Creeley and the team there. I remember they bought uh, some very nice beer one evening in LA. So good for both of those. As I say, it'll be interesting seeing what happens in terms of all of this data not being third-party data. And that's not, of course, the only Spotify news. There's a wonderful piece of reporting from Breakit, which is a Swedish news website, which has published an article which basically says that they tried to get 130,000 listens to their podcast and spent $500 doing so. 
and also managed to buy 50,000 plays to a fake song that they managed to get onto Spotify as well. So there's some interesting uh, stories there around buying stuff on Spotify and basically defrauding Spotify, which is an interesting news story, broken, of course, as you would expect in a Swedish news website. So interesting to see that sort of stuff. It looks like by uh, podcast movement, we'll all be working for Spotify, so it won't really matter by then. Yeah, and let's be fair... Inside Radio and whatever it is that their podcast news thing is called, I think it's called Podcast News Daily, that is owned by iHeartRadio. So frankly, if Spotify is interested in buying pod news, then, you know, I would be perfectly happy with $100 million (laughs) and I will look after your brand just as much as Joe Rogan has. I think that's a winner. Talking of iHeartMedia, we had a LinkedIn announcement from Cal Armin that Sounder FM has announced a partnership with iHeartMedia. So it looks like they're going to be using their platform. Yes, they have. They've announced a partnership. It's all around brand safety for iHeartMedia's advertisers. Yes, that's brand new announced today. Also announced today is the Series A funding round for Sounder. So iHeart has actually invested into Sounder and put some money in. It's 7.7 million. And that's adding to the money that they have already raised in funding. So in total... They've raised $11.5 million. You can always become a supporter, sounder of the Pod News newsletter or indeed of this podcast. Is this on the back of Joe Rogan? I was going to ask you, James, given how unsafe advertisers must be feeling about putting their name next to his podcast. Is this the reason why iHeart's gone down this road? It could well be. The press release is pretty clear that they talk about ensuring that advertisers can confidently invest in the iHeart Podcast Network's expansive and rapidly growing lineup of diverse content. It could well be a bit of a needle in terms of uh, Joe Rogan. And let's not forget, iHeart Media is number one for podcasts. It is the largest podcast publisher globally, according to PodTrack. Now, PodTrack don't measure Spotify, of course. So who knows whether Spotify is actually larger, but iHeart Media is still a very large player in this market. Now, moving on, Spotify are sniffing around. It seems that big pot of three billions got a, a little bit more in it. Amazon and Spotify this week are both said to be considering to buy Audio Boom. First of all, James, who or what is Audio Boom? Explain that. And then why might they want it? I once used to work for Audio Boom when they were called Audio Boo. And the original idea was that you could just record a simple, what we would call today, podcasts, what they called then as boos. Um, using an app on your mobile phone. And it was a pretty clever, pretty smart little tool that Mark Rock ended up doing. But that was a long time ago. The company rebranded as Audio Boom and has pivoted to become a podcast publisher, but also a podcast monetization company as well, much like Acast, that sort of thing. It's got a market cap of about $372 million which is quite a lot, 116 million downloads every month. So it's doing pretty good. Just one of their big shows is Case File, which is the number one podcast in New Zealand, in Australia right now. So it's a pretty big thing. And yes, Amazon and Spotify both apparently sniffing around, although Audio Boom's share price has gone up an awful lot over the last couple of days or so since that announcement went out. I wonder whether it's been shared to help the share price go up. Who knows? But uh, interesting to uh, see that anyway. You mentioned Acast there. I've, I've, I've been curious. Is Acast, do you think, on the block to purchase? They did their IPO, so they've set a high valuation. But could they be purchased? 
Oh, anybody can be purchased if uh, somebody has the right amount of uh, money. And obviously, Acast is now listed on the stock market and can be purchased with a hostile takeover. But I'm not sure necessarily. It's a very large company now is Acast. I'm not sure necessarily that's something that they would be particularly keen in doing. They are still losing money, though. They lost, the last figures, I think, came out over the past week, and they lost somewhere in the region of two and a half, three million dollars over the last quarter. So they're still losing money, but they do see a route into profitability relatively soon. Uh, and they seem to be a pretty good uh, company, which is, is continually signing people. They just signed Ash London, who's a big radio podcast star down here, down under. And it is interesting seeing that they seem to be signing new people virtually every single week and also uh, spending a lot of uh, time and effort in growing their employees across the world. Tim Batt has just been announced as Acast's creator network development director for New Zealand. So he will be essentially working with podcasters in that particular country. I think that they're a pretty good and pretty clever company. Now, moving on swiftly, Amazon Music and Wondery have signed How I Built This with Guy Raz. Uh, Wondery gets the exclusive ad sales and YouTube distribution rights and NPR keeps the radio distribution rights. Explain that, James, because that sounds like a very convoluted deal in terms of its structuring of who can play what, where and what. I think this is actually really interesting. NPR um, has been making and broadcasting How I Built This with Guy Raz for a long time. It's a business podcast, in case you've never uh, heard it. Guy Raz looks like the typical intellectual American with his uh, sports jacket and his clever glasses. And it's a very nice chat, by the way, as well. But uh, so NPR is essentially keeping the bits that it does well. So selling underwriting credits. So this program is brought to you with uh, such and such. Those little underwriting credits that exist on NPR uh, stations and on the podcast, those will continue. But Wondery gets to sell 30-second ads in the show as well with this uh, particular deal. And also, interestingly, some rights for YouTube, which I don't fully understand. And uh, Amazon also gets an exclusive uh, to the podcast for the first week. So you get it a week before anybody else. If you're listening on uh, Amazon Music, then that's a lovely thing. The other thing is that there'll be two shows a week. So they are essentially doubling the amount of podcasts that they can go out and sell, uh, which is always an interesting side of that as well. But it's the first thing that NPR have done here. I mean, NPR is a weird and wonderful organisation that has its brand on lots of things that it doesn't properly own. And I'm not quite sure exactly the relationship between NPR and how I built this. But interesting to see NPR essentially jumping in with Amazon Music Wondery. Jen Sargent will be at the podcast show in London. And it'll be interesting to hear what she ends up saying about this in May. Now, Amazon and Wondery seem to be expanding their portfolio. Smartless, the podcast set up by Jason Bateman, Will Arnett and Sean Hayes and licensed to Amazon Music and Wondery in a multi-million dollar deal. It's expanding. The trio has launched Smartless Media and hired Richard Corson who was previously a producer at The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. The company will expand its audio slate and its team to produce a raft of new shows as part of its partnership with Amazon growing its slate of shows and doing it through third-party acquisition. I think that what Amazon is currently doing, it's nowhere in terms of um, a podcast app. It's just nowhere. I think what Amazon is really doing here is that they're buying IP for content that they can then go and monetize 
yes, as podcasts, but also as TV shows, as the movies and those sorts of things through Amazon Prime, and to resell those to broadcasters as well. Whatever Top Gear became, the Grand Tour is available on uh, Amazon Prime, but you can now watch that on the TV as well. I think uh, Channel 7 bought it here in Australia. So I think that there's a, a lot of that sort of IP stuff going on, and it's a tried and tested way of monetizing podcasts these days. I don't think that Amazon are particularly alone, but you can certainly see that this deal with uh, Smartless Media is essentially just more ways of uh, taking interesting ideas and uh, using the might of Amazon and of Wondery, who are a very clever company in terms of doing all of this, to uh, see if they can get the best value out of the podcasts that they actually have there. And talking about IP and about different podcast networks, uh, I ended up having a conversation with somebody who Amazon may well be interested in them as well. They're a company called Crowd Network. They're based in Manchester. I had a chat with their CEO, Mike Carr. Crowd Network was established in September 2020. It is a UK-based podcast network that creates and owns its own content. So it's very IP-driven, either 100% of the IP or we have partnerships with personalities or potential sort of investigative journalists, that sort of thing, where we create content together. So we're very much around not making content for other people, which is obviously common in the UK market. We set our stall out in 2020 to create our own content, timeless content, evergreen content that we can monetize uh, ourselves and build capital value in the company. And we have two content divisions, Crowd People, which is personality-based podcasts, and Crowd Stories, which is documentary and narrative-based podcasts. I was going to ask, there's a real mix of shows on your podcast network, and I was going to ask what the strategy was, and that sounds like quite a bright one, <laughs> having two separate strands there. Absolutely. The four founding members, including myself, came from the BBC, where we created that Peter Crouch podcast. So we knew that was our sort of sweet spot of how we could really launch those sort of titles and create that community around them. So that we knew we could do that. And we started off doing that quite quickly and effectively. But we also realised that the IP value maybe in people podcast, personality podcasts is not as great as, as, as they are in the sort of documentary narrative style podcasts. And we were very keen to really let our creative juices go in that area as well and build that value in the company and build that IP and build those evergreen titles that continually get discovered. And I think a lot of companies want to do that and they perhaps make branded podcasts on the side or they make content for the people. They bring in revenue from commissions. We're using our people podcasts to bring in that revenue to allow us to make those narrative podcasts as well. But they're also mm. growing significantly. And how we work with personalities is based around building a brand, not just a podcast for all that different ancillary revenue. And we've done that effectively with the two or three of our titles. So it, initially it was about, we just want to make some great stuff. So we had an opportunity to work with film director Michael Epstein in America for Murder in House 2, which was one of our first titles, which was really successful. But we also had linked up with Joe Marler and Garrett Thomas, the rugby player Joe Marler, cyclist Garrett Thomas. Mm -hmm. And so it evolved like that. And through Murder in House 2, we got more opportunities to make in partnership to these narrative titles, whilst the personality side of things was also taken off as well. So it was a business decision not to say make sport titles, which is all our backgrounds. Mm. And it evolved that way to where we are making these sort of two strands of content when that diversity is really important because the income, the revenue that we get in from the personality side it comes in a lot quicker and bigger. Whereas the sort of narrative podcasts 
the revenue takes a while to come through, shall we say, and it comes through slowly. And is that just because of the the way that it, it's ad funded? So it's just the amount of downloads for the personality stuff is faster? It's not necessarily, but it's sponsor friendly. So if you go, sponsors want to work with well-known personalities right. and they want them to endorse their brands. Sponsors don't necessarily want to be associated with a massacre in Iraq. The UK market is probably skewed so much by that. So there are so many personality podcasts mm. because that's what sponsors want. Do you think that's the Joe Rogan effect? In terms of that high-profile personality. In terms of a high-profile personality, and you want them to promote your particular thing. And maybe they see being involved in a documentary, in an investigative documentary, as being rather less built into the content. Oh, 100%. And also, you've got the likes of Acast, Audio, Boom, Dax, who will sell the low-hanging fruit. So they're not necessarily going to mm. go out and try and sell a murder in house two or an American vigilante, which is about this guy going around rescuing kidnapped children and stuff like that. They're going to take the low hanging fruit and it makes their job easier. So it would be nice if brands could be educated more around those sort of bigger brands, your cars, your luxury cars, that sort of thing that could be affiliated like they are on TV with Sky Crime and things like that, that we can potentially bring that to mm. the party. But that's not what the monetization platforms are set up to do. So you could be left with the BBC, the only people that are making these high-end documentaries because they don't have the commercial mm. pressures that everybody else has. And we kind of wanted to change that. And there are companies coming on board that are trying to change that, but it is really a long play and it requires investment as well. But we're scaling up on that more. We're trying to create umbrella titles, series that can inherit audiences rather than standalone mm. 10 part podcasts that do well but then disappear and might have tick over you might get some programmatic stuff in so we're looking at that sort of umbrella model now which a couple of companies are doing effect well a lot of companies are doing effectively about how we can then keep inheriting the audience and grow that i found it interesting to notice in the edison research top podcasts of 2021 that serials there at number nine i've just listened to the entire new serial show which of course is based in birmingham just an hour or so away from you and really interesting hearing here in australia hearing what the ads were in there and frankly hearing how many had been sold and how many hadn't and i found that really interesting yeah i listened you know, to the first episode uh, i think i heard i think i might have heard one maybe none i can't remember yeah. it does take time yeah. and it takes investment and often it is the big media companies like the new york times that can make those but we are wanting to change that and we are wanting to build a significant catalog of these sort of high-end narrative shows. We just launched one this week called uh, The Secret History of Flight 149 about the human shields in Iraq, which we've done in partnership with investigative journalist Stephen Davis, and I'm really proud of it. And it's got incredible access, it's incredible storytelling. And it talks about a, a, an amazing cover-up in the British government. And it, it's something that's actually coming out as we speak, all the different stories behind it are being released by the government. So it's topical as well as historical. And this Stephen Davis is an incredible investigative journalist and we're working on two other projects with him. Now, that takes investment, but there's also the mm. potential for, as we've heard so much over the last six months about potential IP content, TV, film, books, rights, that sort of thing. Now, that would obviously be great. And for American Vigilante, one of our titles, we are having talks around that in terms of turning it into a TV series. But are we going to commission just because it could be a TV or film. That's some companies live or die by that. So mm. you then have to find that time yeah. to develop those titles and find those titles and invest time in them. 
which we are doing, but it, it takes time. Yeah, I was going to ask how your commissioning process works, because you've got a lot of people on your staff list on your website, like a load of people, and they're great people as well. Lots of ex-BBC people in that list. Do you take external ideas or the people that you have with you, I'm sure, have uh, no end of great ideas for, for themselves? Yes, yeah, it's a bit of both. I mean, a load of people, 12, I think, might be on there. We started off with four, so we have trebled our headcount mm. and we are going to be expanding further. It's evolving as we started. So very much the personality podcasts, we generally have a lot of contacts in that area and we would potentially go to them and talk about formats and how we can grow their sort of brand, that sort of thing. In terms of uh, the story titles, uh, again, a massive mixture. So the dot-com strand that we've launched recently about Wikipedia and then the second series about Reddit was very much commissioned in-house, made in-house, and we own 100% of that IP and we're looking at developing more of those titles. But something mm -hmm. like uh, Secret History was uh, Flight 149 was made because of a sort of partnership we had with Bonnier Books, an unofficial partnership, just looking at how we can maybe use some of their books uh, to create amazing podcasts. So that was another sort of partnership that we created and we've obviously going to develop two or three more titles with Stephen. Murder in House 2 with us again, just through a conversation and somebody we know. This guy had been working on this project for 15 years. He wanted out there, so we created that with him. So there's so many different ways of doing it. I think in the longer term, the more that we can commission ourselves, create ourselves and own those titles ourselves, the better for us. But then you have to build this development team to really drill down yeah. on those ideas because everybody is looking for those sort of amazing stories that live out there. TV, film, podcasters, everything. So you've got to offer something special to get through. So we're, we're open-minded with partnerships. We're very open-minded. We just want to work with people that we like and share our values. And the UK audio market is a really interesting market because you have the BBC and your ex BBC, they have a remit to spend a certain amount, I think it's 25% the last time I looked, of their production budget with independent audio producers, which essentially means that the UK has a tremendously rich audio production industry, hasn't it? It, it certainly does, but it is also very reliant on the BBC. And you can make a decent living just making content for the BBC. I didn't really want to leave the BBC and make content for the BBC. I might as well have just stayed there. But I'm not sure of their actual podcast strategy in terms of what shows they create. They can create amazing shows because of lack of mm. commercial pressures, but they also do a lot of personality shows. And when I was there, BBC Sounds and the podcast strategy was very much around attracting younger audiences. And then we, we mm -hmm. brought in the Peter Crouch podcast, which blew everything out of the wall, which was fantastic. So I think we talk about the UK market being behind the US market. It's just different because of the, the scale of the BBC and the amount of production companies that have grown up just making content for the BBC. And I think the BBC mm -hmm. quite likes that. Mm -hmm. they're, they're the commissioners. And then we're all scrubbing around trying to make content for them and win those commissions. We didn't really want a part of that industry. I think for those companies now, it's better because you have options like Audible who pay a lot of money for a title and the BBC might end up missing out on a few. So I think that's important, but we didn't want to get into that production house mentality where we rely yeah. on commissions all the time. We wanted to create these podcasts that we own or own part of. Because that's the difference, isn't it? That 
the BBC, when you make something for the BBC, you are giving the IP to them and you can't really do anything with that IP once you've actually made that particular show. And I think that's the real difference there. Worthwhile pointing out because we've got audiences around the world. I think I worked out that NPR has a market share of, of about 12% in the US and the BBC, I haven't seen the latest figures, but it's around 52, 53% market share in terms of radio consumption, certainly. So there's a real difference there in terms of just the size of that organisation and therefore what it does to everybody else, which is quite a change. Oh, absolutely. And BBC Sounds, obviously you've been covering the recent, you know, decision to make certain of their big titles exclusive to BBC Sounds, which I don't think helps the general market. It certainly doesn't give the license fee payer more value as they suggested. But I understand why they're doing it, because it's a numbers game. And given all the recent talk about the license fee, etc., each part of the BBC has to justify their existence to senior management, to the government, etc. And it's all about perception and future-proofing themselves from getting taken out. So I understand why they've done it, but I don't think they need to start going on about how they're protecting the whole industry and giving value for the license fee. It's not about that. It's a numbers game. And I get it because I was there at the start. So you've launched a brand new podcast last week called A Secret History of Colon Flight 149, which you've already talked about a little bit. I'm imagining that the colon in there is to give you uh, access to more secret histories in the future. Is that the thought there? Very perceptive of you, James. Very much so. We, we started working on it as an individual project with this investigative journalist, Stephen Davis, who's based in New Zealand. And he's been working on this story. It was um, early 1990s, wasn't it, when the first Iraq war happened? Um, and the whole human shield and this British Airways jet landing in Kuwait, just as the Iraqi troops crossed the border, which wasn't ideal, and everything that happened after that. But there was a cover-up involved the British government, and Stephen has basically, through his hard work, has uncovered that. It's incredible. And he has a couple of other projects that we're looking at with him to develop because we found him an absolute joy to work with. He's a writer, but now he's discovered the podcast mm. space. He's, this is it. This is what I want to do. I've given it. I'm not going to be writing anymore. This is what I want to do, which is fantastic. And he's worked with one of our producers who's just done an incredible job. And it's about that, as I talked before, that creation of umbrella brands that can retain audience. So Secret History, Flight 149 goes to Secret History 2, Secret History 3, and then you create the snowball effect and you're building these long-term sort of story brands that you can actually look at and pop something in there that you think that's the right thing for that. We wouldn't necessarily just force it in there, but... That's very mm. much the strategy now. I think you'll see less eight-parters that just go out there and you never see again, although we are launching one in March, saying that, about the anthrax attacks of 2001 after 9-11, the anthrax attacks in America, yeah. um, which is brilliant. We just wanted to tell that story. So we partnered with a couple of journalists over in America, and that's being made for the last year, really. But we're looking, we're very excited about that. Very cool. Mike, uh, thank you so much for your uh, time. If you want to find out uh, more of uh, some of the shows the Crowd Network are making. It's crowdnetwork.co.uk. But Mike, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Pleasure, James. 
So, Mike Carr from the Crowd Network in uh, the UK. I thought it was really interesting. He was talking a lot about the strategy that they have around different strands, different uh, podcast themes, if you like, to basically make sure that the podcasts that they were making weren't just one-hit wonders, that they were actually part of a series and part of an evergreen set of content that they're actually making. So I thought it was a very clever way of mm. um, putting a podcast network. Yeah, build a portfolio. And, and resell the content later down the road. Now, Facebook appears to have rolled out audio rooms across the world. All rooms are auto-recorded and post your profile, unless you don't want that. They work on iOS, Android and the web, but we still don't get podcasts internationally, James, do we? No, we don't. So I'm not quite sure what Facebook is doing in terms of podcasting. They seem to have forgotten about it, but it's nice to see that they've rolled out these audio rooms. They seem to work very well. And it's very nice to actually see something working on iOS, Android and the web from the get-go. That's uh, rather a good thing. I don't think that they are a standalone app. I was saying this on this very podcast quite some time ago. I think that they fit where you have already social connections with other people. And so that's why it works particularly well with Twitter and uh, could work particularly well with uh, Facebook. Although Facebook have so many things, it's quite difficult to find them all. But I thought it was quite a, a nice, smooth experience. Given their share results last week, is there anyone left on Facebook, I wonder? Oh, there's plenty. There's plenty. Did you see the story uh, about Mark Zuckerberg, who is telling people that they want employees to be called Metamates? Really? Because you know what Metamates aren't? They aren't better mates. And apparently the strangely robotic Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> told everybody, from now on, you're going to be called Metamates. So they were all delighted. Dreadful. Let's get back to some tech. Podping, which is a way of notifying your podcast is published really fast on the Hive blockchain, has now more than a quarter of a million podcasts notifying podcast apps about new episodes. The system offers near instant notification of new episodes and removes the need for podcast directories to continuously poll your RSS feed like Apple does. Now, the reason I mention it, because last Friday was a big milestone. The first Podping Live notification is live. It's a system to tell your podcast app that your favourite podcast is currently streaming live. So what do you think of that one, James? It's really nice to see that. It's uh, part of the Podcasting 2.0, part of the uh, enhanced uh, features that uh, Podcast 2.0 is making. So really good to see that. The Podping Live notification was, of course, for the Podcasting 2.0 podcast itself with uh, Dave Jones and with Adam Curry. And really good to end up seeing that. And I think also really good to know that there are a quarter of a million podcasts now out there which are basically notifying people, oh, we've just published a new episode, so you don't have to continuously poll them anymore. That must be good for the environment. It must be good for all kinds of things. And uh, I think in the tests that they've done, I think it takes 20 seconds or so for the notification to get all the way through the system, which is pretty good. Great to see that. I use Wooshka with my radio station to yeah. podcast, and that means that I would have to get Wooshka to support Podping and then support Podping Live in order to take any advantage of this because I can't see, unless you know another way, of me being able to tell people that my radio show is live other than the way that we do now, which is we have people who follow certain threads and then we, we send out to them. 
So Podping itself isn't actually uh, a namespace extension. It, it's a bit different. And you basically send a message to a web server. The web server is called podping.cloud, I think. And you send a message to that to basically say, have a look at my podcast. It's just updated. Or indeed, have a look at my podcast. It's just gone live. So you could actually do that. You could build the tech yourself to do that. And you wouldn't necessarily need Wushka to support any of that. And indeed, Buzzsprout supports Podping, our excellent sponsors, as do other people as well. I'm not sure that any hosts support Podping Live because actually podcast hosts aren't really involved in live podcasting. That's a different thing that you end up using, whether that's a YouTube Live or you end up using Facebook Live or other things. I think this is something that is probably going to be quite techy for people to end up doing and is unlikely to be something that a podcast host themselves supports. As I say, I think it's good to see these sorts of tools rolling out because anything that turns podcasting from being something which isn't interactive to something that is interactive is probably good news for the medium because it keeps people interested in making content and in consuming it as well. Now, I was listening to uh, the Podcast Index show with Dave and Adam. They did have Kevin and Tom on from Buzzsprout, and they were talking mm -hmm. about the fact Buzzcast, which is their podcast, is now enabled for value for value, which is great news. Yeah, indeed. So if you are a fan of that show, then download the Fountain app and and uh, you can start sending them bits of cryptocurrency, bits of value for what it is that they end up doing. And they've joined uh, this show and also joined the new media show. Three quite large podcasts for the industry are now using value for value. It'll be fun to see how successful that is at the end of it. But if you're not already uh, using it, then download a new podcast app. Fountain is a good one because everything is made really easy and simple in there. But there are others available too, which you'll find at new podcast apps.com now apple in response to spotify buying up the industry has decided to come out with some new features it seems that in ios 15.4 which is currently in beta according to some of the beta testers you can filter episodes based on played unplayed downloaded or saved you can also now browse by season and as with any features you have to say they're in beta so they might disappear before release is that the most exciting that Apple can do, James? <laughs> so Apple Podcasts is uh, adding functionality that Pocket Casts already has. Great. Well done, Apple. That's another triumph. They are adding additional things as well, so I am told, but nobody has spotted those yet. Interesting to see. I, th I think what we can take away from that is that Apple is working on their app, which is good. Apple is wanting to improve it and being able just to browse by season is actually going to be a bit of a game changer for fiction podcasting and stuff like that. So I think that's uh, pretty good news. They've also published a guide on how to use chapters. They support embedded chapters, so they don't support the podcasting 2.0 JSON chapters, but they do support the embedded chapters in MP4, MP3 and AAC files. And Apple are saying that they want more podcasters to support chapters and chapter-specific artwork. So if you're doing chapters and chapter-specific artwork, then yay, Apple loves you for doing that sort of thing. And we do, by the way, on this very uh, podcast as well. So again, 
great to see Apple investing time in uh, helping podcasters understand how to use some of these uh, new uh, tools. They've also added something today around helping people understand how to talk to Apple to promote your podcast. So they've put a whole guide together for uh, promotion with tips to how to be promoted by the platform, um, timing advice, artwork advice more stuff like uh, that as well. Apple's doing quite a lot of work out there, which is really good to end up seeing. Again, just listening to the podcast index on Friday, and it made me think, has the podcast index namespace reached feature parity with Apple? I know we, we have a go at Apple quite a bit. They've got their proprietary ways of doing things. So they have had support for a celebrity person tag for some time, i.e. they manually put the picture of celebrities in. Are we at parity? Because we've, in the podcast index namespace, now got person chapters. But do we have anything that supports channels, subscriptions? Because we keep saying we're getting towards Apple, but are we there now? Are we at parity or beyond? I'm not sure we are at parity, and I'm not sure necessarily that we need to be. I think I, I can't see support for the iTunes namespace going away anytime soon. And so therefore, if it's not going to go away anytime soon, we don't need to reinvent that. There are ways that we can look at particular tags that Apple produces to make sure that they are more useful for the whole industry, not just Apple. But I think in terms of getting parity, getting rid, for example, of the iTunes author tag and replacing that with the podcast person tag, I'm not sure that's really required. The one thing, you know, that we could probably do with a little bit of help in is the block tag, because the block tag at the moment, if you put a block tag in your RSS feed, then that will remove your podcast uh, Apple automatically, but it will also remove your podcast from quite a lot of other places. It removes it from Pocket Casts automatically and removes it from Google Podcasts automatically. Google have just retired their Google Play namespace themselves. So iTunes block seemingly removes your listing from most directories, not from the podcast index, I don't think. It would be better, I think, if we were able to produce a more flexible block tag. And that block tag might say, I only want this podcast on Apple and Spotify, and I don't want it on anywhere else, because maybe I don't like what Marco does or, you know, Overcast or et cetera, et cetera. So I want to specifically block those particular apps. And I think that's certainly something that we should perhaps be having a look into. Dave, on the podcast said they may start to look at using the block tag or a new block tag as phase five of the podcast index namespace. And in fact, there's a really good conversation going on around that in the GitHub at the moment, which I am in. I think it's just keeping that simple and keeping that straightforward. And yes, some of the podcast directories may not support it when that's launched. But I think if a creator is making it very obvious that they do not want to be listed in a certain podcast directory, then I think that would be a good idea to add the support for that. So I think that there's a good amount of support there. The block tag might have been useful this week for somebody else, James, because you've received a little letter from a lawyer. I received a three-page letter from a lawyer in Tennessee that was most upset on behalf of his client because his client only wants to be in Apple Podcasts and doesn't want to be anywhere else. Literally nowhere else. Doesn't want to be in Overcast, doesn't want to be in Spotify or in anywhere else, and certainly doesn't want to be on the Pod News website. So they sent me a massive, great big, long legal letter of which I've replied and I've said, I'm using your public RSS feed 
to do what it's designed to do, which is to link to your podcast. If you don't want your podcast to be publicly available, then you should take your public RSS feed down. That's how that works. So if they wanted to, they could use the new block tag, which I will, of course, support as soon as I can, as soon as that has been ratified. It's not really a case of anything else. It's just purely a case of just a simple, straightforward block tag that would actually tell me to stop taking that. So I've sent my, my response back to the lawyer basically saying, no, this is how to do it. And I'm not fiddling around with that, but I've got until February the 28th. Otherwise they will uh, start taking me to court. We will see what they come back and say. Now, a different story. Dino Sophos, who's the founder and CEO of Paris. Persephone, it's easy for you to say. Oh, it's early in the morning here. Come on. That's a better <laughs> name. He was previously the podcast lead for the BBC News and he created some great podcasts. Brexit cast, Americast, and Newscast. Well, in his new company yesterday, they launched the first of their new podcasts. This one was called At Your Service, which was with an artist that you may well know, James, called Dua Lipa. Oh, yes. I'm a big fan of all of her work. Uh, that, by the way, was why Dua Lipa appeared slightly incongruously in the iHeart Podcast Awards to give away a prize because, hey, guess what? She had a podcast coming and great to see that. She's got all kinds of interviews with some very interesting people, including Sir Elton John, who I have heard of, and Russell Brand, who I've heard of as well, coming up on that particular show. That was a good thing. I didn't mention it because of Dua Lipa, and I didn't think it would have been a great podcast story had it been just Dua Lipa announced as a podcast. What I found more interesting, and I spoke to Dino via LinkedIn, we were having a little chat, is that they've launched a version of that podcast simultaneously in French, Spanish, and in Latin America, certainly Portuguese for the Brazilian audience as well. And what he said was they looked at using AI voice technology to do it, Mm. but it didn't really deliver the quality that they wanted. So they've actually got voiced over artists to do Dua Lipa's voice for the sections and a male artist, if it was, say, Elton John, which will be interesting to see who they get. So what they've done it in the style where Dua Lipa says the first two or three words and then it instantly goes like the UN into an overdubbed yeah. voice. Yeah. I think it's interesting how it, they've done it, but they have simultaneously done it. So I thought it was worth noting. Yeah, I think that's a very uh, interesting idea, a very bright idea to basically take a megastar and to produce some translated versions. I think that's a smart plan. So uh, well done, Dino Sophos, a friend of the show. Indeed. Now, You've been busy, James, apart from sanding down your decking. I am you... not sanding down the decking. I have a man for that. He's got a very large beard and I wouldn't want to have a fight with him. You're right. I also launched something on, well, it was supposed to launch on Monday, but then there was some news. So it ended up launching on Tuesday called the Pod News Report Card for the podcast industry. This is uh, quite fun. So basically, some of the podcast platforms basically asked for this and said, is there a way that you can get a bunch of data back from your readers, whether they're publishers or whether they're listeners to podcasts, of basically where we're going well, where we're not doing so well in terms of our podcast apps. And I thought, what a good idea that sounds. And you can, and please do if you're listening to this right now, you can fill out 
the report card at podnews.net slash report card. What I plan to do is compile the results and give comprehensive data to each of the podcast platforms. So far, um, only launched this yesterday. I've already had more than 100 votes back, which is great to see. And some of the comments in there are really useful. Some of the comments in there are basically moaning on about a particular podcast platform for doing something that actually they don't do anymore. But the podcast platform hasn't done a very good job of communicating the fact that they don't do that thing anymore, but they used to do it. And it, it'll really help that particular podcast platform be able to understand what they should be promoting, what they should be talking about. So it's a really interesting piece of uh, work. I have a feeling it's going to be quite a lot of work to take all of the detail and um, compile it into a report, but that's what I plan to do. So if you are having a listen, uh, please do fill it in. It shouldn't take you very long. It should take you a couple of minutes. Podnews.net slash report card. And I link as well to an equivalent that uh, is done for Apple as a company, which is really interesting to go and read anyway. And that's the sort of thing that I'm trying to do here. Congratulations, James. We will hopefully get the results very soon as well. Now, Dan Snow's history hit. Dan was at uh, my podcast festival. Gosh, that feels a long time ago. 2019, at the beginning of COVID, a long time ago. It seems he's claiming to have the most subtly podcast ever recorded. He is not claiming. That was basically me writing that into pod news just to make the podcast sound a little bit more exciting. But yes, he is taking his podcast to Antarctica and he's trying to find Ernest Shackleton's lost endurance shipwreck. I always thought that Shackleton was a man that made chairs, but no, it turns out that it's a shipwreck. That's a joke that only people in Yorkshire will understand. I bought this chair at Shackleton's. Anyway, I've not done a very good job of explaining that. About three people <laughs> listening to this will get that. Anyway, Dan Snow started doing his podcast by recording it into a mobile phone in a travel lodge hotel room. And now he's there talking into a, probably a mobile phone on a ship in the Antarctic Ocean, which is pretty cool, to, he says, an audience of millions. So that's uh, just pretty cool to end up seeing. I wondered if it was the most southerly podcast ever recorded. No, it wasn't. There was a podcast, if you speak Norwegian, then you will enjoy it because it's mostly in Norwegian. Bertrand's Universe followed a man called Eric Bertrand Larsen on a solo trip to the South Pole itself. And that happened only in January. He chose good months to do it. And uh, if you speak uh, mostly Norwegian, there are a couple of episodes in English, and then you'll find that in your favourite podcast app as well. Now, talking of producing podcasts, if you don't want any competition with your podcast, how can we produce a podcast, James, where we get no competition? Well, not much competition, certainly. One way of doing that is to make a podcast about chemistry or about volleyball. This is according to data that Rephonic worked on. They had a look at the Apple Podcasts data, and I should point out the Apple Podcasts data, not podcasts in general, just the Apple Podcasts data, to work out what the low-hanging fruit was, what podcasts you should be contemplating doing, because not very many other people are doing them. So don't make podcasts in English or Indonesian or Swedish, because there are loads of those in comparison to the amount of uh, speakers in the world. Instead, think about doing podcasts in other languages. Obviously, I only speak English because I'm a lazy British person. Avoid shows about cricket. There are an awful lot of those. But chemistry or volleyball, the amount of shows in those categories are very low. And you'll probably get into the charts if you want to end up doing that. Although, let's be fair, 
you'll probably not get very many downloads either. But it's quite an interesting piece of uh, data, which uh, we'll link to from the show notes. I look forward to James's new podcast, Yorkshire Chairs from Shackleton's. From Shackleton's, you know. Oh, so comfortable. Talking of strange little quirky stories, I think it was Matt Deegan who was talking about this. A podcast has turned into its own radio station in the UK, hosted by Libsyn. It's called The Alfred Daily. It's a 40-minute daily local news show, which is now being broadcast on 107.3 FM across Shaftesbury. Yes, it's a podcast which has actually been going for quite some time. It's doing a thousand downloads a day. Now, a thousand downloads a day is quite a lot for any podcast. It's more than this podcast gets, but they're doing a thousand downloads a day in an area that is only 12,000 people. So it's got a tremendous reach in the area. And so now what Kerry Jones, who's the person behind that podcast, is doing is he's managed to get a community radio license and is now broadcasting that across uh, Shaftesbury in uh, Dorset. You'll be able to hear the Alfred Daily about five times in a typical day, but the radio station also covers other programming as well. It doesn't play any music at all, so it's an entirely speech, 24 hours a day radio station. I say 24 hours a day. If you listen in the middle of the night, then you'll hear birdsong because, you know, why not? But it's a wonderful idea and really interesting to see that essentially it was a podcast that has been made for the last couple of years that has led into its own radio station. So very cool thing, worth reading up and uh, learning more about. Gosh, I'd never knew about starting a podcast radio station. I wonder why. (laughs) Ah, but it's different, you see. It's the other way around. No, 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 James. The idea for us was we would do podcasts that were one hour long. So all of our shows are one hour on River Radio because they were intentionally designed to be podcasts. And oh, that we yeah. said we would turn them into a radio show because why not? We were recording them, might as well broadcast the recordings. And that's they how it came well. about. And again, uh, similar to River Radio, which is the we that you're talking to there, this is all a hosted by volunteers and they're using Hindenburg Editor and uh, their mobile phones to go out and record. But it's a really good listen. It's well worth having a listen. It's very uh, professional sounding, just like your radio station sound, but that's a good thing. I wasn't going to say that, but congratulations to Alfred Daly and I will go and have a listen to it. Now, moving on swiftly. Talking of uh, podcasts, as we were just now, podcasts are listened to more than twice as long as people listen to spoken word audio on AM and FM radio among kids, says some research recently from Edison Research. Translate that, James. Oh, uh, yes. This is basically saying if you listen to spoken word audio, then you're listening to twice as many podcasts than you are listening to the radio for the same time. It was just an interesting stat that I saw that I thought was worthwhile mentioning. It's part of the Edison Research Smart Listener Report, which came out today. And and that's full of uh, some really useful uh, data in there. So well worth having a peek at. You'll find that linked from uh, podnews.net. There's a tool out there which will help you organize notes on audio. Perhaps you're listening to a pre-edit and you want to mention, oh, you need to edit the cough out here and blah, blah, blah. It's a little tool that will enable you to do that. That's called Reclipped, which works on any old audio. Saturday was Africa Podcast Day and the event celebrated across the continent. The SABC wrote a large story about that. Some interesting stuff coming out of uh, Africa, particularly South Africa, We'll get some data next week. 
from the Infinite Dial. The Infinite Dial is already available in the US, Canada, the UK and Australia. It's a really good piece of research. They have once before done some data research in South African and they're doing it again. It comes out on February the 24th and it'll be interesting to find out how South African podcasts are doing there too. Let's move on. And there's a section here that says movers and shakers, Sam. It seems like everybody, as we said earlier, is moving to Spotify. But James Cater, the head of studios for Spotify UK and Ireland, looks as if he's about to leave the company because there's a role being advertised on Spotify's website. Yes, that's a very weird thing, isn't it? Uh, why would a role be advertised on Spotify's website for somebody's job where they haven't actually announced that he's leaving? But uh, yes, it, it's there. Uh, he's been with Spotify for more than six years. And uh, yes, I wonder where he's going. And moving on, James O. Boggs. Everybody's called James in podcasting these days. He used to be with Apple Podcasts in July. He'd been with uh, Apple for years and years. He's now hiring Ruby developers for his new company, which is called the New River Bluff Company. We've known very little about that so far, but uh, the job ad says that they are making next-generation audio tools. Hmm, next-generation audio tools. I wonder what they are. Yes, always interesting to see. And Tiffany Ashti has been promoted to US Director of the Acast Creator Network, which is also uh, good stuff too. Now, let's go on to books and events. Podcast Futures, which we've mentioned a couple of times in this episode, is still due, we believe, although we've had no confirmation, to go ahead on February the 22nd in London. Yes, if you're in London, then see if that's still going ahead. It's in uh, Westminster. You may well be at that. I won't be, but I will be at Podcast Movement Evolutions, which is uh, in March in L.A., um, very much looking forward uh, to that. And you're going too, aren't you? I am. I can't wait. Yes. We'll be out looking there. Looking forward to recording this show with the folks at Buzzsprout as well, which should be fun. Not quite sure how we're going to do it yet, but I'm sure we've got a plan. Will it involve riverside.fm? No. So that'll be a good thing. So yes, very much looking forward to that and also looking forward to the podcast show, which is in May in London, England. You can go and buy the Delegate Day Passes. They have literally just gone on sale. If you use the promo code PODNEWS, you'll get 20% off, although frankly, it's 55 quid. It's not that much. So you should be going anyway. All kinds of people there, including Ross Adams, who's CEO of Acast, uh, Miranda Sawyer from The Observer, and Jen Sargent, who's CEO of Wondery. And so all of that happening in May. And I think in both of these events, possibly, but certainly in that one, there will be some Podland drinks somewhere in a bar or in a pub somewhere yes. so that should be pretty good now there was a book that you were promoting on pod news i didn't know much about it but i thought i'd ask you it's called the power of podcasting and it's a new book about telling stories through sound. It's a really good book it's written by Siobhan McHugh who is Irish but lives in Australia I'm quoted on the back in one of those author blurbs saying something positive about it, but uh, genuinely positive about it. I read the entire thing and it's really good. You can get it anywhere in the world, although you'll have to wait a long time for the book to be sent to you, or you can just buy it on Kindle, which is probably the easiest plan. So it's called The Power of Podcasting. And talking about things to read, many congratulations to Ariel Nissenblatt's Earbuds Podcast Collective. They've celebrated five years of putting that newsletter together and that show indeed. You should subscribe to that too. You'll find it at earbudspodcastcollective.org. James, what else has been happening for you this week in Podland? 
Oh, it's been quite busy. I'm in the Daily Telegraph this week talking about radio and how it isn't dead. So that's nice. I was on a Italian radio station in London yesterday, London One Radio, talking about the World Radio Alliance. So that was nice. I was also on Podcasters Live for a whole hour, uh, which you'll find on Pod News's socials, particularly on uh, Twitter. And you can watch the whole thing all over again. It was uh, great talking with uh, Steve on that. So uh, that was good fun. So I've been doing all kinds of things. What's been uh, happening for you this week, uh, Sam? Well, I bought a share in a tugboat, James, and it's called the Crafty Tug. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And what does the Crafty Tug do? It sells craft beers and ales at outdoor festivals. Ah, I'm, I'm more interested now. Yes, you do realise that there is a canal in Islington, so you could stick it up there. Well, we might do that, but it's on its way up from Little Venice as we speak right now. Oh, really? Little up. Venice, for those who don't know, is in London, very close to Paddington. Oh, well, very cool. Very cool. And I notice it's even got a website where you can find out more. All the w's.craftytaproom.co.uk. So it's going to be a bit of fun over the summer. We've got five festivals that's going to be at music festivals and we're going to have river radio on the roof broadcasting but you entity. don't know anything about ale so i'm to learning what you learn out of that that should be very good how exciting there you go the crafty tug uh, and that's it for this week please follow podland in your podcast app and on twitter at podland news you can also find previous shows on the web at www.podlandnews and if you want daily news you should get pod news the newsletter is free at podnews.net the podcast can be found in your podcast app as well and all the stories we've discussed on podland today in fact are in the show notes we're using chapters and transcripts too our music is from ignite jingles and we're hosted and sponsored by our good friends at buzzsprout Keep listening.